You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Great to have you guys along at today's show. We will preview all of the games this weekend in the SEC, the final weekend of SEC play, including the SEC title game between Alabama and Florida. Also, we will catch up with Chris Stewart from the Alabama Radio Network. We'll talk with him about stepping in for Eli Gold on last weekend's Alabama game and get his thoughts on the SEC championship. Lastly, we will chat with Joel Klatt from Fox Sports to get his thoughts on the SEC and the possibilities with the college football playoff. I am Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked on SEC for free wherever you get your podcast. You'll get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each and every day, five days a week. All right, let's jump right into it. SEC Week 13, the final week of regular season football. Let's do our matchup breakdowns. Matchup breakdowns. Only four games of the conference this weekend with Vandy, Georgia canceled. They join Auburn, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Arkansas as their regular seasons are all finished. We start with 11 a.m. Central, 12 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. It's number five, Texas A&M at 3-6 Tennessee from Neyland Stadium in Knoxville. BetOnline.ag has the Aggies as a 14-point favorite. The Aggies have been really good running the ball this year. They rank 28th in the nation in rushing. Isaiah Spiller ranks third in the conference in rushing yards, just under 900 on the year. And AM really good at stopping the run as well. They rank ninth in rushing defense. The one hope for the Vols, though, to get something going, anything going, is with their run game, which has been very inconsistent. But they did rush for over 200 yards last time out against Vandy. That combo of Eric Gray and Ty Chandler, they're going to have to be really good for the Vols to keep up in this one. But I just feel like the Aggies are going to be too much. They know they're still fighting for that potential playoff spot. They're trying to impress. I expect Kellen Mond to help lead that balanced attack, jump out to an early lead, and perhaps coast from there. I don't think the Aggies blow out the Vols but I've got Texas A&M winning 38-27. The Vols cover the spread. At 2.30 Central, 3.30 Eastern on SEC Network, it is 4-4 four four Ole Miss at 4-5 LSU. BetOnline.ag has the Rebs as a 2.5-point road favorite. Despite the Tigers, fresh off their upset win of the Gators down in the Swamp, LSU leads this all-time series 63-40-4. Quick update as of this recording on who we expect not to play for Ole Miss. It's a big one as junior wide receiver Elijah Moore will not play in this one as well as senior tight end Kenny Yaboa. Both players posted their decisions on Twitter yesterday as they will both begin preparing for the NFL draft. Elijah Moore is second in the SEC with 1,193 receiving yards and eight touchdowns. Yaboa, he caught six touchdowns on the year and he is only second in the SEC to Kyle Pitts in tight end yardage. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, tweeted out last night, I support players and their right to opt out, but I don't understand this. You work and sacrifice to get through the toughest of seasons, and then you walk away with a game left on the regular season docket? For LSU, they will be without right guard Chasen Hines in this one and running back Ty Davis-Price. Hines suffered an injury in the Florida game and Davis-Price, as well as the other running back, John Emery, both left last week's game early. Emery is listed as questionable, at least for this one. But Davis Price will not play. And cornerback Derek Stingley also listed as questionable. That could be a big one. Again, 
It didn't hurt the Tigers as much last week, but Florida did throw for a lot of yardage. It would certainly help them playing Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss to have Derek Stingley back out there. Coach O did say he expects Mac Johnson, Max Johnson to get the start at quarterback, which makes sense considering he helped lead them to a win over Florida. I know Lane is still going to throw it all over the field with Matt Corral, and this LSU defense has been very susceptible to the pass and chunk yardage this year. But I don't know, call me crazy. I just feel like LSU playing at home with a chance to get back to 500, finish their season. Keep in mind, LSU has opted out of a bowl game, so this will be it for them. I just think the Tigers play with some pride, find a way to get the victory. Give me LSU 34, Ole Miss 31. No Elijah Moore just hurts the Rebs. Hands up the loss. Also at 2.30 Central, 3.30 Eastern, it's 5-4 and four Mizzou at 2-7 and seven Mississippi State. Bet Online has Mizzou as just a one-point road favorite. Mizzou coming off a big letdown loss last week, hosting Georgia as they were blown out. But Eli Drinkwood said they will not let that game linger. I expect them to come out look more like they did in their previous three games, which were all wins. Larry Roundtree has got to get going on the ground, though. He is fourth in the conference in rushing yards. And Mississippi State, they're fresh off a loss to Auburn that was just really sloppy. But despite that, the Bulldogs have played much more competitively in recent weeks. They lost by just a touchdown to Georgia and Ole Miss, lost by two touchdowns to Auburn. I think Will Rogers and the Bulldog offense keeps it close for a while, but I think the Mizzou defense gets after it. Trajan Jeffcoat leads the SEC in sacks with six for Mizzou. And Connor Bazelak, the freshman quarterback for the Tigers, he is fourth in the SEC in passing yards. I think Mizzou wins this one 34-24, and they cover. And lastly, we get to the SEC Championship game, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern on CBS. Bet Online has Bama as a 17-point favorite. A few weeks ago, I really liked Florida with a chance at the upset, but after the way they looked these last couple weeks, especially losing to LSU last week, this team is just really playing poor defensively. I don't trust Todd Grantham to be able to slow down three-headed monster for Alabama, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, and Mac Jones. The only hope Florida has is for Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts to just wreak havoc, score a lot of points. I do think Dan Mullen opens up the playbook. Maybe we see some trick plays, some fake punts, fake field goals. They really have nothing to lose at this point now that the playoff seems to be out of the picture. For Bama defensively, Nick Saban said last night, linebacker Christian Harris, who has been banged up, he said, I think he can play. I just don't know how effective he might be. That's going to be probably a game-time decision, so we'll have to see on Christian Harris on Saturday. We're going to find out how dominant this Alabama defense can really be in this game, but I think Trask and Florida do have some success on offense. I just don't trust that Florida defense. I'm going Alabama 51, Florida 31. Bama scores again late to cover the 17 and goes on to the college football playoff as the number one seed. There you have it. Those are your matchup breakdowns and predictions. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Chris Stewart from the Alabama Radio Network and get his thoughts on the SEC championship game. That's next. Hey, guys, we did it. The weekend is here, and that means a full weekend of watching one last go-round, one last hurrah, one last weekend of SEC football and doing so with an ice-cold Coors Light in your hands. You know, watching football is very therapeutic. It's our uninterrupted meet time, and this is our last chance to do so with a full slate of games in the SEC this weekend, enjoying it with some ice-cold Coors Light. It is cold lagered. It is cold filtered and cold packaged. 
You know Coors Light is as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for any moment to unwind. When you see those blue mountains on the side, you know it is ice cold. And when it touches your lips, it just is that much more enjoyable. Coors Light is the one that I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit that reset button, you got to reach for the beer that is literally made to chill. And that is Coors Light. We tell you all the time you can get them in their new look cans delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Don't even need to leave the house. They'll come right to your doorstep. Grab some Coors Life for this weekend. Make sure you do it and celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Monday on the show, join us as we will recap the entire weekend that was the final weekend of football in the SEC. We'll break it all down. We'll also start to look ahead to some of the bold matchups as well. That's Monday on Locked on SEC. Locked on SEC rolling along here and much to discuss ahead of this big matchup this weekend. The SEC championship game between Alabama and Florida. Of course, other SEC games going on as other teams will be finishing off their regular seasons. But all eyes will be on Atlanta for a primetime matchup. No 3.30 Central, 4.30 Eastern this year. The SEC championship moving to the nighttime. And we'll get to see Alabama versus Florida. But a guy who was on the call for Alabama's win over Arkansas last week. For the first time in many, many moons, it was not Eli Gold calling the action for the Alabama Crimson Tide. It was Chris Stewart, voice of Alabama basketball, and sliding over to do a little football action this past week, and he joins us now. Chris, how are you, my friend? Man, I'm great. I appreciate you having me on. What was that experience like when you got the call that, okay, Eli Gold has tested positive for COVID? First off, we wish him the best and hope that he and his wife and, and everybody around them are doing fine. But second, hey, you're going to have to slide into the big seat and call a game. And by the way, you're not going to be there. You're going to have to do it from uh, uh, many miles away. Well, it was kind of fitting. I grew up in Alabama, been an Alabama fan my whole life. And when I was five years old, I used to do play-by-play off television. So it was basically going back to my roots. And uh, that, that's what I told people. I felt like you know, I was five years old again doing Alabama football off the TV. But this time it counts. And it was uh, – I mean, you nailed it. The first concern is about Eli and Claudette. But then realizing they were okay, it was trying to take care of the job and do it the best you can, especially under the circumstances. But the major piece that helped, and anybody that's done play-by-play will understand what I'm talking about, uh, trying to get the charts together, your, your spotting boards ready for the weekend. We've got a great team. Besides having Eli, you've got Butch Owens, who's been his spotter for, for the whole time. He's been the play-by-play guy at Alabama. You've got uh, Tom Stipe, who's the producer, in addition to color guy John Parker Wilson and Rashad Johnson on the sidelines. So trying to make everybody else's job as normal as possible was the key, as best you can, without Eli being there as the main guy in the main seat. Well, one thing that was tremendous, tremendously helpful is Eli offered his spotting charts to me and was incredibly gracious on his part to do that. But when I went to pick him up from the printer, it, you know, I sent him a text afterwards that said, uh, I've been to Mount Sinai. I've picked up the stone tablets. Thanks so much, Moses. Uh, it was it felt like the broadcast equivalent without hopefully not sounding irreverent, but it was it was great on his part, and that made everything kind of help fall in place. And From there, I've done a lot of play-by-play this year uh, virtually and having to do it off television. I did a full season of high school games on television. I've done 
all but one basketball game that way as well for radio. So it, it wasn't completely foreign to me, but it was very different in realizing that I was probably just the fourth guy literally in the last 60 years to do the radio play-by-play for an Alabama football game was pretty special. Did you get a, a lot of what was the response like? I guess uh, you know you're, you're you got the old school people who are like, "Where is Eli? Why is he not calling oh, yeah. the game?" But I'm sure you got a lot of compliments as well. Well, people were very kind to me. Uh, nobody's going to replace Eli, and I've tried to make it clear I was just I was just filling in. That's all I was doing, and <laughs> and hoped I did the job right. I took it as a good sign, though. I actually did a doubleheader. We did. Football in the morning with 11 o'clock kick, and then I had basketball that night. Ty taking on Clemson from Atlanta uh, at 6. We did both from the press box at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And I, I did treat it as a good sign when my boss, Jim Carabin, did not replace me for the evening game. So uh, I was still employed, and that's what you judge it by. Anything else is gravy. Well, hopefully they gave you time and a half or at least a sandwich or something for that, that long work day. He did, he, he did bring me a sandwich. It was much appreciated. <laughs> what uh, what did you make of the team's performance? Because it was so funny, you know, in the, the the landscape of everything. We saw Clemson and Notre Dame both canceling their you know their last regular season games to prepare for the ACC title game and basically yeah. not risk a chance for a slip up. And then we see Florida that night goes in. You know, they slip up in the swamp against an LSU team and and lose that game. Obviously, it could have been a letdown spot for Alabama, maybe looking ahead, but it looked like they were clicking on all cylinders on Saturday in that big win over over Arkansas. You know, that was the most impressive part to me, that um, they were so focused. And not that I'm surprised that Nick Saban could get a team to lock in, but human nature takes it. And he talks about that all the time, every year. This was the type game where if there was going to be a letup, you would see it in that one. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to, to Arkansas at all, but in fact, I thought they would be the most difficult game of Alabama's final three. Uh, I say that in the, the sense that there would be no problem for Alabama to be motivated for Auburn. It's the Iron Bowl. There was going to be no problems to be motivated for LSU, certainly based on what transpired last year. But Arkansas was, was kind of laying there in the weeds You've, you've got that game between LSU, the SEC championship. You're on the road. Probably going to be bad weather. It was uh, a team that doesn't have uh, a very good record. You, you've won every year. The Nick Saban has been the head coach against Arkansas. So would your team come out and play well against a team who's proven to be very dangerous in Arkansas when they played well? And so for Alabama to come out, uh, you know, didn't score touchdowns on their first two drives as they've done most of the time this year. But once that, that train started moving down the track, uh, the rest of the first half looked like Alabama. And, and I thought it was one of their more impressive performances of the year with all of those things considered. Chris, I've been saying for weeks, I think Devontae Smith is my Heisman vote. We'll see what the actual Heisman voters elect to do here after this weekend. And it's no offense to what Mac Jones has done. He has been very good. Kyle Trask as well. But when you talk about the best player in college football, to me, it starts and ends with Devontae Smith. I loved your call of on his punt return over the weekend, an 84-yard punt return. And you said, in a foot race, my money will always be on him. Is that just, in my mind, that's just the feather in the cap now? 
now on adding to his resume this year. We know what he's done as a receiver, but to add something like that in a dynamic return game, man, that just adds even more to his Heisman resume. Yeah, Chris, and here's the other thing about it. I mean, yes, he's the guy that made the touchdown catch from Tua Tungvaloa in that dramatic overtime national championship win against Georgia a few years ago. But, you know, don't forget, he was on a roster last year with Jerry Judy, um, you know, a guy who's also now first-round draft pick playing wide out for the Las Vegas Raiders. And, Henry oh, by Ruggs, the way, yeah. Starts, yeah, and so, by the way, he was maybe the number two option behind uh, a young man who breaks his ankle. And not only are you the uh, the number two option at wideout, you're the backup at best punt return guy, actually the number three punt return guy, but we're just going to – we're going to put you in there because you're more explosive. And, oh, by the way, go ahead and return one and set all sorts of receiving records in the process. That's who he is. He was not the most hyped guy coming into the season, but he has proven to be the most dangerous. Now, again, people are going to vote how they're going to vote. They're going to perceive that, that award to go to the top quarterback or the top running back. You don't – often at all in history see it go to the best wide out but pound for pound and in terms of what he has meant for that offense and for this team uh there, there's none better than Devontae and what he's done he's, he's truly been amazing a quick thought on the game this weekend Chris obviously you take on Florida I mean I've seen what the Vegas odds makers say bet online has them at uh, a 17 point favorite but somebody brought up an interesting point earlier this week they said this is more dangerous for Alabama because Florida has nothing to lose Dan Mullen can opt to go for it on every fourth down and run sure. every fake punt and all that so f- from that aspect it kind of is a little bit more dangerous of a Florida team yeah. Chris, I said the exact same thing in, in talking to somebody else this morning. Uh, they have nothing to lose because I don't care what Dan Mullen said going into that game this past weekend against LSU. They are not going to be a college football playoff team regardless of the outcome of this game. I'd be stunned if that were case. So you're right. He can throw, he can throw everything, including the kitchen sink at Alabama that he wants to with absolutely nothing to lose. But I'll go back to, and I sound like a broken record to people that have, have heard me over the last, I guess, 13, 14 years, whatever it is now, since Nick Saban's second year at Alabama, when they went to Athens, Georgia, and absolutely dismantled the Bulldogs in what was referred to as the blackout game, because Georgia was going to wear the black jerseys for that one and, and called it a blackout, and and then nothing happened except Alabama blackening their eyes, you know, scored 30 on them in the first half, and and uh, that turned out to be a perfect regular season that, ironically, Alabama lost to Tim Tebow in Florida in the SEC championship game. But that was the game where things flipped for Alabama with Nick Saban as the head coach and started this amazing run where I think there's only been one ball game during that stretch where Vegas has had Alabama as an underdog going into a game. And, look, forget the Vegas part of it. It's been a case where every week since then I have felt that Alabama's best was good enough. You know, you hear it all the time. 
well, if my team plays well and the other team will make a mistake or two, we got a chance. Florida's good enough to beat Alabama, but it's going to take Alabama turning the ball over, failing to execute at a level offensively that that we've been seeing throughout the entire year, the defense regressing uh, you know, from being what they have been, which is a team that's gotten better and better each week since the Ole Miss game. So if those things occur, then yes, Florida can win the game. But Alabama's best is clearly better than Florida's best. And if that's what they have, then it'll be a great day for Alabama and the confetti will fall and the title will be a lock and uh, be in that college football playoff. Yeah, and I think the I, I guess the good news for Alabama is even if they were to slip up and say lose this game, you know, in a close game, I think they're still in. And so I think that you know, as angry as well, Alabama fans would be, you're probably still in the playoff if you lose this game. I'll put it this way: even though Chris, my life insurance is paid up, I will not bring that up around Nick Saban. How about that? <laughs> yeah, you just start with that, Nick. Uh, first question: uh, You guys can lose this game because you're still in. Yes, watch his watch yeah. his face turn red uh, within seconds. That would be uh, that would Let be. Let me great. tell you, I, I've, I've hosted his TV show for uh, a number of years now, and and uh, I've told people one one way to survive: you never start a question off with the words "Why did you." <laughs> So uh, I'm, I'm real careful in that regard. I, I think I, I think he understands what's at stake. I think he's the best at handling that, and and I, this team will be ready to go come Saturday night. He is Chris Stewart, sportscaster for the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Before we let you go, Chris, I know you you got basketball going on. What's uh, what's I guess college baseball is right around the corner. I guess everything's yeah. pointing to that being a little bit of normalcy, right? Hoping so. You know, I think the outdoor nature of it, like football, is going to lend itself to being uh, le- less dangerous to being canceled than uh, than the indoor sports. But things are trending. I know we've had some. I know we've had some teams cancel some ball games and things like that, and have to have to put on pause. Alabama's experiencing that this weekend. Scheduled to play Houston, but as you know, they've had to. They've gone under uh, uh, kind of a, a pause and a delay, so you lose a game against a great Houston team and you pick one up against a very good and very dangerous Western Kentucky team this weekend, you got to adapt, you got to adjust. But yeah, we're excited about uh, where things are headed for Alabama baseball under Brad Bohannon. They were, they were off to a great start last year when COVID struck. Uh, feel like they're going to be a, a really talented team and contend this year uh, and have a chance to be a, a regional squad this season for the first time in a long time. And uh, I still think the ceiling is very high for Alabama basketball this year with Nate Oates. I think the the uh, the startup has been a little slower than even they anticipated, but I still think what this team can be uh, will be very, very good. If they can get to that stage, it's going to be a fun season that will carry deep into March. Yeah, it's going to be a loaded college bas- basketball season in the SEC and loaded college baseball season with all the talent that's coming back in the SEC. It's going to be a lot of fun. Chris Stewart, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. That's Chris Stewart of the uh, Crimson Tide Sports Network and, of course, was on the call over the weekend with uh, Alabama playing Arkansas on the road, stepping into the shoes for Eli Gold. And uh, doing a great job and calling uh, Devontae Smith's uh, 84-yard putt return for a touchdown. And, again, I just think that you add that to the resume of what he's done as a receiver this year, 
He's my pick for the Heisman, but we'll see what happens on Saturday. More to come on Locked on SEC. Hey, guys, we've almost made it through the work week, but you got one more day to go. Might I recommend something that might help you get through the day, and that is our friends at Built Go. Built Go makes you the best you at whatever you do, whether it's a mental or physical wall. Break through it with Built Go every single day. There are these little uh, small packages coming like one and a half ounce packages. You put them in your briefcase, your golf bag, whatever you need. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's a five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. It's like drinking a monster energy drink, but with a third of the caffeine and much better results. It comes in three delicious delicious flavors. You got peanut butter honey, you got chocolate coconut, and my personal favorite, the chocolate mint. Go check them out right now at BuiltGo.com. You'll see what makes them great. It combines energy gel with protein. It's fast absorbing. Hits to your system fast. Very easy on the stomach. And loaded with all those good things for you. The B6, the B12, all those good things that help get you going and wake you up and make you a little bit more alert. Again, visit BuiltGo.com right now. When you find what you want, maybe just try a little starter pack. See if you like it or not. When you do that, make sure you use the promo code LOCK. That's L-O-C-K-E-D and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D. You'll get 20% off right now at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Hey, guys, betting on the SEC does not have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q. And handicapping expert Lee Sterling, you'll get daily picks, quick-hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers. Subscribe to the Locked on Bets podcast, brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcasts. Roll along here, Locked on SEC, getting you ready for the last weekend of the SEC. And plenty of questions abound with the uh, national championship or the SEC championship game between Alabama and Florida and Texas A&M playing the Volunteers on the road. Can they do enough in that game to prove themselves worthy of a college football playoff spot? We'll find out with our buddy Joel Klatt from Fox Sports, who joins us now. We'll jump right into it, Joel. Does Florida have a chance Saturday against Alabama? Not really. I mean, let's let's face it. It's, Florida has had some of the same issues in, in multiple games this year. You know, kind of undisciplined. They can throw for a lot of yards, but their defense is not all that great. We saw that play out, you know, in, in some respects against A&M and that quality win for, for Texas A&M. Um, and I just, I'm a big believer in Alabama. I think that this is, since the halftime of the Georgia game, they've been playing some of the best football that we've seen in, in quite some time. And in a, in a year in which we all thought, like, hey, nobody's going to go unbeaten in the SEC. You can't play 10 SEC games and, and, and go on. I mean, this, this team is dominant. Their defense has developed since that game against Ole Miss. Their offense, even without Waddle, is historically good, at least in my estimation. Mac Jones has played himself into a first-round grade and, and as an NFL draft pick. So uh, I, I, th- I just think that Alabama is too good for Florida, who we've seen have the same issues in multiple different games so far this year. In your opinion, Joel, does Ohio State have to win convincingly this weekend? I think it depends on the other games, um, you know. But I, I just, I don't see them. Well, one struggling, and two, I, I just don't see them as an undefeated, knowing what we know about them, the quarterback that they have, the roster that they have, and the criteria that this committee clearly uses. 
This is a very brand bias, uh, power five bias, uh, recruiting rankings bias committee. And we saw that as evidence last night in the, the ranking that they gave us. So I just, I just don't see it. Now, listen, it will come with some speculation if they struggle and will, there'll be a big evaluation. Uh, but I, I just don't see A&M. And in this respect, it would be A&M. I just don't see A&M passing them. I, I really don't. Or what has to happen for the Aggies to get into the playoff? I think it would really help if Florida wins. Now, I don't expect that to happen. So I think that the, the more likely scenario for A&M would be a Notre Dame win over Clemson. And I think in that respect, Texas A&M matched up against Clemson is, is a favorable resume matchup for them. Clemson doesn't have any good wins, and, and they would have lost to Notre Dame twice in that respect. Um, you, you know, so the strength of schedule for A&M would, would look good. I think that's their best possible avenue for inclusion into the playoff. And, and to be honest with you, I, I believe it would happen. I do not believe Clemson is in regardless. So if Notre Dame wins, and as so long as Texas A&M handles their business and doesn't beat a, a bad Tennessee team by three, if they can handle their business, win by double digits maybe against Tennessee, I think that it's a pretty clean avenue for Texas A&M. And I think a Notre Dame win in the ACC championship game and a decent performance out of Jimbo's uh, guys there with A&M, and I think you're going to see Texas A&M in the Final Four. The question then would be, do they have A&M rematch against Alabama in the semi, or do they monkey with the standings in order to avoid the two SEC teams playing in the semifinal? And, and I think that would be uh, the interesting part, because I can tell you this, all three teams that would be the other four part, uh, three participants in the playoff Everyone's trying to desperately avoid Alabama because I think they are clearly the number one team in the country. So I guess Notre Dame is in no matter what. I assume you'd say yes. Notre Dame and Alabama are firmly in, period. And, and I think Ohio State is a win and in, and I think Clemson is a win and in. So if Clemson were to win, then I, I think that we've got our four right there so long as, as Alabama is able to hold serve against uh, Florida. Um, and, and I think, you know, Candidly, that's probably the four best teams. But again, there is an avenue for A&M. The, the, the brand bias for Clemson may be very strong. Having said that, it seems like the bias might be more in favor or, or the analysis might be more in favor of the SEC, which would help A&M. I firmly believe if Clemson loses, A&M's playing for their spot in the playoff. Joel, some think that LSU might just be – Let's call it a one-year aberration. In fact, that's what a lot of the critics are saying. You think uh, that the Coach O can sustain success there, or are you in the one-year wonder type camp? I actually agree with that sentiment, in large part because last year was more of the aberration than than this year. Now, honestly, I didn't think that they were going to fall this far. But remember, this was this was a teammate program, a head coach, that was falling short of expectations year over year. Um, and, and, and I think last year was such a lightning in a bottle year. That wasn't what Ed Ogeron was at LSU. They, they got one of the best quarterback performances in the history of the sport for a single year. They got coordinators that, that were at the top of their game. Both of them left. Um, I know that they're still recruiting at a high level, but the exits leaving that program are far greater, at least in my estimation, than young players that are unproven that are, that are signing with LSU. So I, I do believe that this is more of a sign of things to come. Um, and unless they figure out the quarterback position, unless they figure out the defensive coordinator position, I think that LSU could be in a kind of clear third, maybe even fourth place 
position within their own division because I think Texas A&M is not going anywhere. And and this year for A&M proves to me that they can sit there in the second position in the division and, and try to take, take aim at, at Alabama. Now that Gus Melzahn is out at Auburn, does Tom Herman have the hottest seat in college football next season? Yeah, there's no doubt. He, I mean, he has to win. It was hot this year. They went after the big fish. Apparently, Urban said no. And to their own credit, they sat back and said, listen, are any of these other candidates worth the $25 million of buyout money that we're going to mm-hmm. have to spend? And I think rightly so said, no, there are not candidates this year that, that fit that mold. So um, I think that they made the correct decision this year, but that does not mean that the hot seat is not the hottest in college football beginning next season there in Austin. I think that that's absolutely accurate. Joel, if we're still in this type of COVID world next football season, what changes would you like to see made next year? Well, for one, I think that the the folks that said, hey, we should start earlier rather than later and space out the season were the ones that were proven correct. I think if, if, if we're battling this at all, I would start the season in mid-August. Give everybody three, maybe even four bye weeks. So let's say you're going to play 10 or 11 games over a 15, 16-week time period. So you, you start sooner, push the championship game later, because the conferences that had the mo- most flexibility were the ones that got this done, the SEC and the Big 12. And so I, that would be the number one uh, way that I would say, how do we avoid the, the mess that we found ourselves in this season it's not push it to flu season. It's let's start earlier and provide for a lot of flexibility. All right, just a couple more, Joel. Do you think we'll get to a point where we have a commissioner of college football? Um, I'm not sure. I, I believe that that's needed. I really do. Um, and, and I believe that there needs to be a lot of structural changes to our postseason. I believe that one of the changes of expansion that everybody wants is probably right on the doorstep. And the reason is not because of the um, inequities of, of the playoff committee and, and who's getting in, but rather it's just that's the money tree. Everybody's desperate for revenue because of the revenue cuts that took place this year due to COVID and Matt. One of the only ways that you can grow revenue for, from a substantial amount standpoint is by adding to the playoff. That's an immediate boost to revenue throughout college football. They need it throughout these programs in order to keep the other sports afloat, uh, the, the, you know, all the ancillary sports, the non-revenue sports. So I think that the, the college football playoff expands. I think the harder part is giving a, getting an overarching governing commissioner or president over one of these or, or both of these entities. And the reason is, is because these commissioners over these conferences will not give up power. Folks, here's one thing that we should know throughout history. Those who have power do not give it up without a fight. So conference commissioners are not going to sit there and say, yeah, strip us from our power. Let's give it to this guy. I think that that's a, that's a crazy, while needed, I think it's a, it's a crazy uh, uh, take. All right, there he is, the one and only Joel Clad, Fox Sports. Thanks, Joel. Bye, brother. That is just about going to do it for this edition of Locked On SEC. Remember to tune in on Monday where we'll be recapping all things SEC. Really, the season that was the SEC. And hopefully we'll know some of the uh, bowl destinations for some of these teams. We'll certainly know the college football playoff and what that's going to look like. And is it one SEC team, two SEC teams? Discuss all of that on Monday right here on Locked on SEC. Thank you guys so much for listening. Talk to you then.